Hi everyone, welcome back. Today is September 12th, and if it's Sunday, then this is The Delve. Last week we covered the current situation in Afghanistan, and now we turn our eyes to New York to share an important story that deserves our continued collective attention. Today we are talking about sexual harassment in the workplace and the scandal surrounding former Governor Andrew Cuomo. The former governor resigned on August 24th after Attorney General Letitia James made public an exhaustive and damning report on the allegations of his conduct. Eleven women have come forward with allegations of name-calling, groping, inappropriate comments, questions, touches, and even kisses. It's gross, it's hostile, and unfortunately it's all too common. While Time's Up and Me Too have expanded and liberated the conversation about sexual harassment and assault, still more than half of all women experience workplace harassment. Some research counts as high as 81% of all women 70% of all queer, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and non-binary people, and 16% of men, and as many as 90% of all incidents of harassment are not documented formally. The Cuomo administration passed legislation as recently as 2019, expanding the definition of workplace harassment, lowering the threshold to allow survivors more time, a nuance to make reports, and mandating certain harassment mitigating policies and practices. The allegations against Andrew Cuomo specifically describe violations of both of these laws and federal law. Kathy Hochul is New York's new governor, the first female governor of the state who says she wants people to believe in their government again. She brings with her an administration full of women in leadership, shattering many glass ceilings for the state and the nation. Time will only tell, but the data shows that when women are in charge, everyone is safer. Today we share an interview I had with attorney Alex Burke, an employment lawyer in New York who delves into the policies adopted by the Cuomo administration, the scandals surrounding the former governor, and what you can do if you are experiencing harassment at work. Alex Burke's article titled Cuomo's Textbook Violation of His Own Sexual Harassment Law can be found on the Daily Beast. If you or someone you know is experiencing sexual or gender-based harassment at work, please do not hesitate to reach out to the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. We have linked their website in the episode description. Initial consultations free of charge. Hey, Alex, how are you? Thank you for joining the Delve today. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Like I was, you know, speaking to you a little bit right before we started recording, this story on, you know, Governor Cuomo has been approached from, you know, such an intense political lens and not from, you know, the angle of just like employer harassment. So I'm very, very excited to take a look at that because I feel like that might be something that's a little bit more relatable to, you know, the everyday person. And before we jump in, um, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and the, the work that you do? Sure. So I am an employment lawyer in New York State. I actually live in the Hudson Valley and work between the Hudson Valley and the city, which is a more and more familiar commute for people. I represent both employees and employers, but I do personally more employee side work. I've been doing this for about five years and, 
you know, it's been really interesting to see how much my work has become part of the public discourse, especially during COVID. I'll also say that I have a three-year-old and I think that being a parent working during this period with a lot of employees, you know, struggling and employers also struggling. I think it's important to note that I'm a parent because it adds kind of just a whole other level to what I've been focusing on during the past 18 months. You wrote this piece in The Daily Beast entitled Cuomo's Textbook Violations of His Own Sexual Harassment Law. Can you give us the spark notes of the sexual harassment law passed by Governor Cuomo? Sure. New York State human rights law is the law that every employer and employee who works in New York State has to abide by. New York City also has its own separate laws. And in the federal law, it's Title VII. So people kind of generally understand sex harassment based out of the Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But the New York State human rights law has been around for a while. And in the past few years, largely because of, honestly, the work of women in the sexual harassment working group, who are women and men, people who had worked in Albany as staffers who had been harassed over the years, banded together to really kind of advocate for better laws. So some of the changes to the human rights law were clarifying what is even considered harassment. So it kind of lowered the bar for what actions might be considered harassment. It no longer requires that someone seriously and pervasively harassed a person. It meant that if a person who's been harassed at work does not report that harassment to human resources, the employer could say, how could we know to do anything to remedy this situation if it wasn't reported? But in fact, a lot of people don't report the harassment to, that they experience to human resources because they're concerned about retaliation. So the law changed to recognize that and to say that it's no longer an absolute defense for employers if an employee has not made a report. And there were other changes to the law. I think what's really interesting here is that Cuomo really took on this law as its champion. He worked with, you know, on the heels of the Me Too movement and was saying that he's out there championing change for women in the workplace. But then what we've seen from the attorney general's report about his actions really shows that, you know, that's obviously not the case. And interestingly, as he's been on his like little bit of a defense tour prior to no longer having the office of the governor to use as from where to speak from, he kind of made these comments about how, well, I guess the lines changed and, you know, I'm, I'm older and I, I didn't realize how much the lines had changed, which really made people furious because it's like, yes, you do. You, you You changed the lines. It's not that he changed it so long ago. This was just updated by him in 2018. Yeah. In 2018 and 2019, there were updates. So it's really, um, an absurd argument, which I guess one could say clearly it's an absurd argument because he resigned anyway. I think that something that is so 
powerful about this story about, you know, that I'm excited that you want to look at it from this angle because, you know, I'm someone who often speaks to women who've been sexually harassed in the workplace and I see some of the themes and the, some of the themes are really brought out strongly in the attorney general's report. And one theme is that women often feel like maybe they're making it up maybe they misinterpreted, really trying to give the person the benefit of the doubt, feeling bad about the idea of reporting because they don't want to get somebody in trouble. And I think that that's something that under the law has changed because you are not required to make a report. But more than the law, I think this whole episode has really shown us what women go through and how hard it is to stand up to somebody powerful at work. And I was remiss in leaving out a very important fact of the, of the revisions to the law, which is that every employee in New York State has to take an annual sexual harassment training. Part of that is trying to get everyone on the same page about what is sexual harassment. You know, it's not just somebody being physically touched. Um, it's it's about using power against people based on their gender. And these workplace harassment trainings, these are trainings that Governor Cuomo did not attend, right? That is correct. And, you know, hilariously, in the attorney general's report, they really went into detail. There's only one year where his office could provide any proof that he had you know, signed the form that you're required to sign and keep on hand, but actually somebody else in his office admitted to signing it on his behalf. So the one time that it was signed wasn't actually even signed by him? Correct. Wow. If he had attended, do you think it would have helped? That's a good, you know, <laughs> my sense of Cuomo is that he is so profound profoundly invested in not finding fault with himself that I think he probably truly does not understand what he did. So in some ways, I think he, well, as I say that, I I don't even know if it's true. But so I don't know if it would have helped. But I think that, you know, in these trainings, they offer examples of like, don't ask people about their private life. You know, don't ask somebody out. Don't give them, you know, nicknames about how they look. So I think that it would have been hard for him to actually do the training and not recognize any of his own behavior in what not to do. He might have been, you know, oh, oh crap, I've done this. (laughs) Or like, oh, I should stop doing this. Potentially, I think something else that we've really seen from the fact that we have this really well-written report from the Attorney General, as a lawyer, it is exciting to read because it's just an example of great writing. But even for non-lawyers, it's not so dense. Like It tells a story. And, you know, I think one of the things that comes from that is how much he doesn't believe the law applies to him. And in fact, part of my motivation for writing the Daily Beast piece in general is that the law and 
the actions in the workplace are not obviously always aligned. And so I think it's really helpful for people to understand, you know, how these issues do play out at work, even when you do make a report. Because now we've seen in detail kind of how that can occur, and it helps people hopefully um, understand that it's useful to seek counsel um, if they're considering even making a report sometimes, just to get a sense of what their rights are and understand their situation in a broader context. Right. If Governor Cuomo had not made these updates to the sexual harassment law, would he be in the same amount of trouble as he is now? That's a good question. The attorney general's report did indicate that they found that he violated both the state and the federal law. And it is harder to find violations of the federal law. I think that part of the trouble he's in and is not just about the fact that he sexually harassed staffers, some of the harassment, you know, groping a staffer's breast, clearly going to violate the law. But it's also just how much he, he doesn't think <laughs> that the law applies to him. And frankly, how I think if he had, well, we saw it, the allegations started coming out in December of 2020. And he wasn't getting the same flack for them until everybody stood up. And I think the law, the updates to the law certainly helped make it clear just how hypocritical his actions were and really make some of his defenses more absurd on their face. But I also think that it's really about the context in which everything broke more than his actual violations of the law. Why do you think it took so long for him to resign? Well, this is the first time, you know, Cuomo has a history of different, whenever someone gets close to investigating his own actions, he shuts them down. So this is the first time New Yorkers have seen his personal wrongdoings detailed in public. And, you know, the Attorney General Tish James also had released a report on nursing home numbers, which in, I believe, January or February of this year, which was really probably the first time that he was criticized publicly by a member of his own government in such a way. And I think allowed us to get to this point. But basically, I don't know that he thought he was going to be called out. <laughs> I don't think he thought it would be this bad. And I think that the time it took him to resign was, I'm sure there were many phone calls happening in the background of different people saying, we can't support you. Like, you've lost the power that allowed you to do this. You can't continue. His support just collapsed. You had members of Congress, you had the Speaker of the House, you had the President calling you out. So yeah, his position became untenable. Yeah. But it clearly he he started his resignation speech defending himself. So I don't think that this is him learning a lesson. I think it's that he no longer had the power to continue. What happens now legally to Governor Cuomo? Well, there's a, 
a number of things that can happen. Something that I think is important is the attorney general doesn't have the ability to bring a legal claim against him. And I know that Lindsay Boylan um, and I believe Charlotte Bennett, who are both victims of his harassment, who've been incredible advocates, have counsel and have stated that they will be suing. There will be private lawsuits against him and the state. Another woman who he groped did file a criminal charge in Albany. So that is also being explored. So at this point, the question is going to be, who files lawsuits and what sticks? I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, the state legislature has had been investigating him for impeachment, right. not only based on these claims, also based on the fact that he lied about the number of people who died from nursing homes due to COVID. He violated ethics in writing his book, using government resources. There's more. I, I actually created a website called CuomoScandals.com that sometimes I even need to refer to because there are just so many. But so the, the legislature did announce that they will not be completing their investigation and they will not be going through the impeachment process because he resigned. But they, after some pushback, have said that they will release some of the reports. So that might also lead to other, other areas of redress for different people. There's a bit of a parallel now with Governor Cuomo and this situation and some of the things that former President Trump has been involved in. It seems like it's taken, you know, kind of like a long time for this process to go forth. What is the time frame that these women can see some aspect of justice? That's a great question. So there is a three-year statute of limitations for filing a lawsuit in New York related to sexual harassment claims. Most lawsuits that are filed actually don't end up going to trial. There's a many-layered process that generally ends up with a confidential settlement. That can take anywhere from a year to 18 months or longer from the moment of the initial filing of the complaint, none of which have been filed yet. It's still a very open question as to when some justice will be served to individual women to compensate them for the harm that he caused to them personally and to their careers. When these stories break, it makes headlines when you're talking about governors or former presidents or celebrities. But is it the same among less infamous bosses? You know, restaurant managers, they're not necessarily the most famous person in the world. You know, I think that, look, Cuomo has been the most powerful man in New York for a decade. And what that power got him was the ability to act with impunity because people couldn't take action. For example, Charlotte Bennett worked for him. She did make a complaint to Human Resources. The lawyers investigated the complaint. They spoke with her. They took notes. They said, mm, this doesn't need to be sent to the state agency, Gore, which is where sexual harassment complaints in state government are supposed to be investigated. And they offered the, the analysis that 
It didn't need to be passed along to Gore because the behavior had stopped because she'd made this complaint and was being moved. And I bring that up because I think the more powerful the alleged harasser is, the more that other people around them will work to insulate them from harm. So if I, you know, we've seen this in our practice in the private sector, oftentimes the alleged harassers who get fired, who might have to pay settlements, um, who are involved in litigation, it's often because somebody, you know, they, they're not the person in favor at work. <laughs> That's why they're kind of being thrown under the bus. And, and I shouldn't say thrown under the bus because, you know, they might have done actions that are wrong. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that the law doesn't equally apply to everyone. It depends on who's applying it and where. Something else that's very unusual about, about sexual harassment claims at, in, at work is that they first are dealt with internally, right? You first are dealing with your employer. So depending on the employer's view of the harasser, that's going to have, in many cases, a major impact on how it all plays out. And what we've seen with Cuomo is that, you know, he's the, he's the guy. So everybody else gets moved. They get their careers ruined or changed. And he's insulated because other people are doing the work to insulate him. And I think that that's something, you know, that you see in the private sector as well. What's the best way for someone to approach this? Maybe someone listening right now is in a similar situation. Is it legal action? Is it, you know, someone within perhaps reunion? Is it speaking with HR? What is the best route to go? That's a great question. I often encourage people to contact a lawyer and remind them that just because you have a conversation with a lawyer does not mean you're starting a lawsuit. I often speak to people and have consultations with them about exactly this question. This is what's happening at work. What do I do? I'm afraid to go to HR because of X, Y, and Z. Or this person is so powerful, I'm, I'm very concerned about taking them on. And I think that because these questions are so fact-specific, it's helpful to speak to a lawyer to give you some advice on how to, what, what do you want to do? What is your goal in the situation and what's the best way to achieve it? Going to human resources is, you know, always possible and is in fact another change the New York State Human Rights Law was they created a reporting form that has to be used so you can make a report. But again, it's not required. So it might not make sense to walk into HR looking to unburden yourself before you've had a chance to think about what you're trying to accomplish with that unburdening. Because potentially going to HR could add another dimension to the situation where it's even more stressful. Certainly. And I think, you know, a lot of people think and hope that going to HR, that HR is working in their interest, but human resources represents the employer. And, you know, this example with Charlotte Bennett, I think any independent person who reviewed her claims, who listened to her and took the notes that the governor's counsel took, would recognize that this is harassment and needs to be remedied. But because the person listening to her was also thinking about the governor and his interests, 
it didn't necessarily, it didn't play out the way one would expect. And I think that that sort of issue can happen for people in all sorts of employment situations, which is why I encourage contacting counsel. And I will say, you know, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund has, there's been a whole kind of arm of criticism coming out of the Cuomo scandal related to them. But they do fund cases for individuals. And, you know, we're part of the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund network. And any lawyer who's part of that network, you know, is obligated to give a free consultation to someone concerned about sexual harassment. So there are ways to get connected to lawyers and have a conversation about your specific situation and how you can get what you need out of the situation before you contact HR. I think that's a great piece of information. We'll probably put that in the bio as well for folks who might be encountering a situation that's similar to this. In this era of Me Too and Time's Up, has it changed the culture of work? Have you seen more you know, come out and file harassment claims? Yes and no. I think that more people are able to recognize you know, I, I mentioned that often what I see is that people who've been harassed at work question themselves, like, is this harassment? Am I making this up? And I think more and more they see in the media instances of other people who've done similar things and recognize, well, it, it must be harassment because it was harassment when this person did it. Right. So I think it's really helped people understand that there's that they have some rights and that they're not making it up, that they have a reason to, to ask questions. What is your stance on bystanders, folks who are seeing this harassment and, and not doing anything? You know, it's interesting because people who are supervisors at work can be held personally liable if they, quote, aid and abet harassment. So I expect that some of the people named in the attorney general's report will be named in, in further lawsuits. But I also think that what's an interesting from this kind of case study in the Cuomo administration is that there's a real differential between a staffer who might have seen the governor kind of refer to women with nicknames and think, oh, that's hazing than someone who's really working to, I think one of his counsels set, after Charlotte Bennett made a complaint, they tried to put in kind of a, an unofficial policy that, that the governor should not be alone with women staff. There's a difference between seeing something that, that might be wrong, but the person might, may or may not understand how wrong it is versus actively kind of helping somebody harass others. I like to end these interviews with a question. What makes you optimistic or hopeful about the future? I feel like with this topic, it's so heavy, but is there something that, you know, makes you, I guess, a little optimistic? Certainly. I think, you know, something that was really touching to read in the report or in the attorney general's report, and I think they made a point of bringing this theme out is just how much each of the women who came forward to speak with the attorney general's office wanted to do it not for themselves, but because they saw how it had impacted other women 
and they wanted to support those women. They didn't want to be caught in the governor's lies. And so they weren't necessarily, you know, having that conversation because they were looking for something as a result of the harm that they suffered, but right. more that they were saying, no, this is not, this behavior is not okay. And if I don't speak up about it, I will be complicit in the lie. And I think that that is really hopeful because, you know, I mentioned it's not just the law that caused this series of situations for, the, for Cuomo to resign. Also, Assemblyman Ron Kim, back in February of 2021, you know, the former governor did what he's always done, which is call him up and yell at him yeah. not, to, right. not to speak. But the difference was that this time, Ron Kim went on the news and started talking about, you know, this is what the governor did. And he did that because he had colleagues in the legislature who he knew would stand with him because he felt it was so important. And I think that also helped kind of break the dam. You know, if there's people working in the public interest who can band together, that's what we're seeing. That's why Cuomo's gone. Wow. Alex Burke, thank you so much for your wisdom and breaking this down for us. I learned so much, and I'm sure so many of our listeners will as well. Once again, thank you so much for coming on The Delve. Thanks for having me. That's The Delve. I'll see you next week.